Well, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Matt, one of the pastors. And that right there is out of the book of Samuel. Now, we have been in this teaching series called The Story. And the story is the biblical narrative, the abridged. Uh, so, like for example, your Bible is not in chronological order. Many of you know that, and so sometimes reading the Bible is complicated and it's hard to understand. Well, the story puts your Bible in chronological order, and it keeps the narrative, it's a bridge version, it keeps the narrative of the story going. And so we've been talking about this season, it's in your Old Testament in the book of Ruth and Judges, and now in 1 Samuel, this season of Scripture where God has clearly established a nation, the nation of Israel, but they're hard-headed people, right? Did anybody in here hard-headed? Right, And what I mean by hard-headed, and now every hand's about to raise, is they were in this horrible cycle of sin, repent, repeat. Sin, repent, repeat. Sin, repent, repeat. Over and over and over. And the way that the repenting would happen is God would raise up a judge. And when I say judge, you probably think of like Judge Judy or uh, what was the old divorce court judge? Uh, Wapner, is that right? Nobody knows. Great. So anyway... Um, but they would, it's not a judge behind a desk with a gavel. It was a man, in some instances a woman, that God would raise up and he would use uh, their proclamation to refocus the people back on the ways of God. And people would be like, whoa, and they would, they would repent and they would refocus and they would do well. But wouldn't you know that their kids or at least their grandkids would forget everything that this judge had said and it would continue this cycle. It would go on and on and on. Well, Samuel is a phenomenal man in the Old Testament. Tremendous. Like you got to read chapter 10 of the story or the book of 1 Samuel. It's a beautiful story. Samuel's one of my favorite uh, people in all of the scriptures. But Samuel gets old. And Samuel was this transitional judge, meaning that he, he, he was going to be the last judge before there was a king. And the first king was going to be a guy named Saul. And 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel talk about this first king and what became of him into the second king that we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks, a guy by the name of David. But Samuel, um, the transition to a king from a judge, it wasn't like the way God had planned it. Now, if you've grown up in church, and uh, you might have heard these phrases as uh, God's will versus God's permissible will, like God has a plan, but if you argue enough or you pray hard enough, he will change his mind to suit what you want. I don't know how much I agree to that, because a lot of times people use this as an example, that it was never God's plan to have a king, but yet the people wanted a king, so God changed his mind. But if you look with me in Genesis, you will see that God had intended for kings all along. Genesis chapter 17, verse 16 says this, God speaking to Abraham concerning his wife, Sarah. He says, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. Speaking about their future son, Isaac, I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. What's that next word? Kings of peoples will come from her. God had planned from the get go to eventually set up a, a leadership system with kings in place. But I don't know if he intended on getting to it just this way, by such motivations. Today we're going to look at that, and it would be easy for us just to simply learn up about something in Scripture. But at the heart of today's message, I hope that you will see the transferable principles between the nation of Israel and our great nation that we are a part of today. Because us too, us Americans in the room, those of us who are making America our home, we are a people who are caught up in this bad, bad, bad cycle of sin, repent, repeat. And not only is it generational, it's on the microscopic level of just your life, right? Because our culture tells us and screams at us that you have rights. And see, these rights are awesome, and, and men, men and women have lost their life defending these rights, and they're beautiful. But if not careful, we abuse our rights. 
And they lead us into relationships, into thought patterns, into attitudes where we find ourselves often in contrary, in contradiction to that of what God says in ourselves. We are a sin, repent, repeat people. And it's a very frustrating way to live. Amen? I mean, aren't you just tired of living frustrated and shameful lives? I hate living like that. Feel dirty, you feel slimy, feel like you can't do anything for God because of what you just accomplished. Well, today I want us to look at 1 Samuel and specifically speak towards that idea. Now, as we've talked about the story, we've talked about uh, two types of stories that are going on at the same time. God's upper story and our lower story. And our lower story is just our every single, our everyday life, like going to the grocery store, taking the kids to school, going to work, paying the bills, meeting our neighbors, just whatever it might uh, make up your average day. That's your lower story. Then way up here, you have God's story. God at 30,000 feet. And what he is trying to do as he communicates and tells uh, his beautiful, beautiful story. Now, what we often do is we say, God, would you change your upper story to accommodate our lower story? And you've been praying for years on maybe something specific that God would change so that your life would get easier. God, if you would just change your mind and bless this. God, if you would just bless this and just change my situation, how much easier my life would be. Unfortunately, God rarely, if ever, changes his upper story to accommodate your lower story what does God do? God asks us, right? In our lower story, to change our perspective, to change our ways, to change our way of thinking, to change our way of living, to accommodate him and what he's doing. Let me say this again. Some of you have been praying the wrong prayers. You've been praying for God to do something for you. And meanwhile, God's been trying to communicate. Maybe he gets through to you today that he's waiting for you to do something. He's waiting for you to align your will, your life, your thinking to his. Because he is God. And newsflash, I know some of you don't want to hear this. We aren't. Right? We aren't. And so we're going to talk about that today. Now, we think that following God and becoming a part of his upper story is really complicated. And the reason we think that is because we make it complicated. Like, if you're not careful, you think God is some trickster, some some guy that's trying to pull the wool over your eyes. And what I mean is this. We think, like, when it comes to discovering God's will or his plan, that it's like when when you would play this game with your kids where, hey, guess which hand the money's in? You ever played that game before? When, you know, you put your hands in your pockets or behind your back, and you say, okay, which hand's the coin in? And your kids go, ooh, left hand. Nope, not there. All right. We we think that's with God sometimes. All right, God, which hand's your will in? All right. Like God doesn't want you to figure it out. It's a big game and, and you got and he's going to try to trick you, right? And you better guess right because if not, you know, sorry. You say, God, I think your will's in your left hand. Nope, no coin. Oh, must have been the right. Nope, gotcha. I'm not going to tell you. I'm sneaky. All right? That's how, we, that's how we view sometimes following God. Can I tell you something? God wants you to know what his will is. God wants you more than anything to be a part of his upper story. I believe this. It breaks God's heart when the people of God, those that he has caught out of a life of sin and caught into a perfect relationship with him, it breaks his heart when we choose not to align our life to his upper story. I mean, from the get-go, when you go back way to the Old Testament and you start looking at Abraham and Sarah, what does God want more than anything? That they would walk and have a relationship with him. But what do people do? Well, we, we do our own thing. And so today, let's dive into this. And let's see what God has to say to us. First Samuel, chapter 8, verse 7. Samuel is uh, crying out to God. Anybody ever cried out to God? Anybody ever been mad about something? And when I say cry out to God, he's aggravated. He's mad. Why is he mad? Because he has done a great job leading these people. Now he's old, but his sons are knuckleheads. And the people come to Samuel and they're like, listen, we love you. We don't like your boys. So we're not going to follow them. 
And so would you give us a king? And so Samuel gets by himself and he's crying out to God. And this is God's response to Samuel. He says, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so that they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king will reign over them will claim as his rights. It's like Samuel, listen to what they're saying, but offer them a stern warning that this king is going to want their best possessions, the best of their sons and daughters, the best of their crops, the best of their resources. So communicate that, right? Well, he does. And we learn in chapter 8, verse 19, but the people, what's that next word? Refuse to listen to Samuel. Us too, right? How many of you guys have had people in your life, you men and women, you young adults, seniors in the room, have you had people that has tried to speak wisdom into your life and to give you caution on something that you're seeking for and you're looking for? They've tried to give you wisdom, but you have refused to listen. And because you've refused to listen, you end up getting exactly what you think you want, only to not want it at all once you get it. Ever been there? I've been there too many times. They refuse to listen, the scripture says. They say, no, we want a king over us. Then, why do they want a king? Then we will be like all other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And that's the crux of today's message. How are we similar to them. How do we feel in our heart the same thing? I mean, this is thousands of years prior to us, but yet how do we have the same heartbeat that God has rescued? I mean, think about all of the things that God has done for these people up to this point. He's brought them out of slavery. He's given them the promised land. Like they are building their homes and planting their fields on land that they did not, uh, that, they, that was basically just given to them by God. They're drinking water from wells that they didn't dig. Like God is saying here, here is the promise that I've given to you or made to you. Take it. They're there. And now all of a sudden, over several periods of years, they just continue to walk away from God and say, well, you know what, God, I really don't appreciate it. I don't honor that. I forget all that you've done. And they go about making their own way, doing their own life. Aren't we the same? Some of us in this room have been following Jesus for a long time. Like there's a been, there's, It's been years since you made your, per, your, your first uh, profession of faith. It's been years since that camp, since that revival, since you walked that aisle, since you prayed that prayer. And somewhere along the way, you have become ungrateful. Somewhere along the way, we forget to recognize what God pulled you out of. Some of us were in serious crisis. Some of us were in serious messes. Some of us in this room, God has forgiven us of great things, and you've seen God reconcile and redeem so many different areas of your life, only to get so far down the timeline of that happening that you forget and you begin to, like them, want something different. Today's message for me, as I read this, it's a message, message of recasting the vision of why. Why is such a dangerous question? And the question's not just, why do you come to this church? The question is much bigger than that. The question is, why do you choose to go to church at all? Why do you choose to follow Jesus at all? Whether you never come back to this place or you make this place your church home or continue to worship with us every single week, why? Is there something about being here right now that somehow makes God like you more than them? I don't think so. So why? Like, what's the purpose? 
And what I want to present to you today is a sense of urgency for this generation. And when I say this generation, I'm talking about you people in the room. I think there are great similarities between Samuel to the people in the year 2015. We have to refocus the why of our life. Our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents, no matter what age you are, they have set a course for us, and the American church has arrived at its destination. And here's the destination. We are a church that the world could care less about because we are a church that makes little influence on the culture at whole. The culture knows what we're against, not what we're for. We spend our time screaming about how evil they are and how wicked they are instead of screaming about the redemptive love of Jesus Christ and how he's rescued our lives. And the, the gap just gets further and further and further. Why? Because we're always yelling about what they're doing's wrong and what we're doing's right. Guys, there's a different way. I want to show you a picture. So at Starbucks this morning, it's where all the spiritual things happen in my life. And I'm rarely on Facebook, but I got on Facebook today, and it said, here is a memory for you. Four years ago this day, I, th- I think this was God-ordained for today's message. Facebook reminded me of this picture that I posted on August the 23rd. Here it is. Those are three of the most precious names I know. Allie and Christy are my twin girls, and Luke is my, is my son. And there was four years ago, there was a group of about 30 individuals, some of them right here on the second row, who were potentially choosing to partner with me and another family to plant a church called New City Church. And there was just, I mean, like none of you were here, just a, just a small number of you guys. And this floor wasn't here, and the, the theater was still a mess. And the floor has this gradual slope. So about where I'm standing, I'm about five foot off the original ground, Right? It's a floating floor that you guys are on. And so it was this concrete floor. We had pulled up all the movie chair seats, and we got together on a Sunday uh, while in the middle of the demolition. The place was a complete mess, um, mold, gross. It was nasty, right? And we talked about who are the people that we hope that this ministry impacts. And this 30 or so people grabbed Sharpie markers, and they went all over the floor underneath your feet, not the plywood, on the concrete many feet below you. And they wrote the names of men and women, young people, old people, that they hope to see in a seat in this building one day. I'd love to tell you that I was so spiritual that I wrote my kids' names down. I didn't. I love them. But I really love my wife. She wrote those names. And as I was going through those pictures that afternoon, like who wrote down whose name, and just kind of reflecting on what we were asking God to do, I see those three little names. And I began to cry. Because you know what? I knew that I was going to help plant the church that my children and your children were going to find Christ in. I knew that I was going to help plant a church that would be somebody's future home church. And just in the environments that I grew up in and, became, and, and, and learned to follow Jesus, that I too was going to create something similar to that, and that my little kids, along with your little kids and your grandkids, were going to find a place where they could learn about Jesus and, and follow him. Guys, we have a great call in front of us, and we can't get sidetracked and distracted with thinking that it's about going to church on Sunday morning. Going to church on Sunday morning has ran its course as being the primary way to change the world. Why? Because the world could care a flip about Sunday morning. Are you with me, or do you disagree with that? 
Like the, the days of a guy getting up and making a presentation and changing the world, it's no more. There's too many things to compete with. And we've done a great job of distancing ourselves from those who need to hear the message the most. So what do we do? I want you to notice what the people requested of Samuel and how we do the same thing. They say, we want a king, but why? Like, why do they want a king? Haven't they had a king? Hasn't God gone before them? Hasn't God given them Samuel? And Samuel done a great job of leading? Why now do the people want a king? Well, look what they say. With a king, we will be like all other nations. We want to look like them. And see, some, I'm telling you, it is hard in our day and time to be a people who follow Jesus. Because make no mistake about it, young or old, when you follow God, He calls you out of the cultural norm. I want to bring your attention, if you turn the paper around, I put in there Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Look what Paul says. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you're not careful, you will confuse God's will with the cry of the culture telling you how you should think and how you should behave and what you should do. And please don't hear that statement as you're supposed to stand hard in the, and, 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 and like fight. I'm just saying that sometimes we think that following Jesus and following culture are the exact same things. And church, I got to tell you, it's never been the case. If you think you can follow Jesus and them, I hate to break it to you. You can't. If you go about your life and as you take a hard self-reflection and there's not a lot of difference between you and them, like you go out with your friends on Saturday night and nobody really can tell that you have Jesus and they don't, or you're at your neighborhood and you live and you spend and you act just like your neighbors do, if you act like them, looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, guess what? It's a duck. And I know what you say, oh, no, 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 I go to church on Sunday Whoop-de-doo. That's what I say. I don't know what whoop-de-doo means, but big deal, right? I think that's what it means. It's a big deal. God calls us, right? I mean, think about it. I think about what God called me out of. He called me out of a certain way of thinking, a certain way of acting, a certain way of dating because I was young and single at the time. God changed the direction of my life. Like, and he did the same thing for you. Like, I don't know your backstory, but I know that God always calls us out of things. Why? Because he is looking for a people who will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But if you're not salty and you're not the light, you're just like everybody else. How can you proclaim what Jesus has done for you? Oh, no, but God does call us. But somewhere along the way, it gets hard and it gets challenging and we get tired and we say, Jesus, I want to look like them. I want to do what they do. I want to think how they think. This type of thinking, this type of living is so challenging. Newsflash again. It's always been challenging. It's always been challenging, and it's going to continue to be challenging until Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for the day where Jesus' prayer comes, is answered, and he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I long for that day. Because I don't know about you, but I walk through this life, and I walk through down my streets, and I encounter the folks of my neighborhood, and sometimes the wickedness that I read, it's so frustrating. Because I know this is not what God intended. It's just the world being the world. And then it's really aggravating when you have people who are proclaiming the things of Christ, but yet they're secretly just like the world. Oh, that makes me mad. But you know what? 
If I'm not careful, I'm the exact same way. Just on a smaller scale. That I say one thing and yet I do another. How, do you, how are you in your life, if you're not careful, saying, Lord, I, 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 we want a king so that I can look like them. Because following you as a king is just way too challenging. Like, I can't think the way that you think because I'm, I, I just can't. The second thing, they say not only do we want to look like them, that we want a king that will lead us. Right? We want a king uh, uh, to, to lead us into battle. To go before us. We want to win. You know, at the time when this was, uh, the people came to Samuel and said this, they had a big enemy at the gates of their towns, and they were afraid. And they were like, listen, it looks like God's going to let us down. So Samuel, you need to give us a king who will lead us, and we can defeat our enemy, and we can have some stability in our life again. In your life and in my life, if we're not careful, we too will say, God, yeah, I know that you're my king, but I need a new king. But here's the thing. Kings are sneaky. You need to know this. Like the things that you, here, what was the king? Let me say this first. What does, what does a king demand? A king demands your loyalty. They demand your loyalty. Like you're going to be for them completely. And by the way, Jesus, King Jesus demands the same thing. He demands your loyalty. Like some of us think that uh, there's different variations of obedience, that there's like true obedience, and then there's no obedience, and then there's in the middle partial obedience, right? Yeah, sometimes. The truth is partial and no obedience are the exact same thing. And the reason that some of us in this room are frustrated right now is because you're partially being obedient to God, meaning there's areas of your life that you don't struggle, so it's easy for you to be obedient in. But then there's those areas of life that you know that God speaks into, but you don't really want to do that because it doesn't feel good for you, or it's just so hard being disciplined in that area. And so you're kind of obedient. You're not horrible. I mean, you know people a lot worse than you, right? And yet we live in this partial obedience, and yet we wonder why God somehow doesn't work alongside us. Because God loves obedience. And these kings that we show our loyalty to are sneaky. The king in your life is not going to come up and say, I'm an evil king. I'm going to lead you astray. I'm going to destroy your life. Come follow me. Because even the slowest person in the room is not going to go for that. What does the king do? That sneaky king promotes false promises, immediate feelings that make you feel a certain way, that make you feel good, that people tend to pat you on the back and tell you you're really good at this or it's really welcoming. But at the end, all of a sudden you notice that you give your life and you give your resources and you give your time and you raise your children and you point your life in a certain direction only to get to the finish line and go, what was that all about? That's what a king does. There are people in everybody in this room. Listen, somebody's getting your money. Somebody's getting your money. I promise you. Like, and don't, like, you can't say, oh, the church just wants my money. Listen, so do the royals, so do the chiefs. I'm telling you, right? Amen? Has anybody bought a chief shirt lately? They're 40 bucks for a t-shirt. Come on. Right? Come on. 40, come on, 40 bucks? Somebody's been just counting dead presidents, right? But we'll spend it, right? Like, I go out to that new uh, awesome sports store, Snills. How do you say that? Shills. place is phenomenal. Man, how I wish I would win the lottery. I could spend a gajillion dollars in there. But pick something. I mean, there are things in our life that we devote ourselves to and that we give ourselves to and then make it the excuse, well, God, I just don't have any time or God, I don't have any way to be generous or God, I can, oh, you, listen, yes, you can. It's just sneaky kings. And these sneaky kings have, have wedged themselves in front of our love for the Lord 
And we devote our time and our resources to these sneaky kings that are promising certain things so that when it comes time to be obedient to Jesus, we simply can't because we don't have. Oh, we don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the influence. We don't have it. Why? Because we've given it to everyone else. It's a frustrating thing. The nation of Israel started out the exact same way, by the way. They were a nation when God was calling out Abraham who worshipped all of these different gods and the thing that God uh, called them out of that set them apart from every other nation was all of a sudden you had this group of people that were going to believe in one God, not many gods. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is one of those scriptures that if you have your Bible, you need to highlight it. If you read your Bible from an app, it needs to be highlighted. This is a foundational scripture in all of the Bible, and it's known as the Shema. And this is the proclamation that was made to the people of Israel about who they were and who they weren't. And I love this. And this is a foundational truth, a foundational principle that New City Church is built upon. So as you, some of you have been walking with us for several weeks and you're kind of searching us out. If you're curious, what's this church about? It's this scripture right here. And let me sum it up and I'm going to read it. It's Jesus is boss. Jesus is Lord. We just don't use that word Lord anymore, but most of us have a boss. Some of you don't like him or her, but you got one, right? Well, when it comes to life, Jesus is boss. He doesn't ask our opinion. He doesn't ask how we feel towards it. He simply says, this is the way. And when we view him as boss, then we simply say, yes, Lord. Many of us have succumbed to the sneaky king of your emotions and your feelings somehow trump the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is, I'm telling you, this is sneaky in our day and time because we are told all the time that your ideas matter and your thoughts matter and how you feel and what you think because everybody has an opinion. Have you guys noticed that? Everybody. I have one, you have one, and we all just share them all the time. And somehow in all of the sharing and all the social media uproar, we forget to say, whoa, what does King, Boss, Lord Jesus say about the words that are coming out of my mouth, about the thoughts that are in my brain? Because see, here's the deal. Jesus is the Lord of your life. You, 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 it, you cannot accept his grace of the cross and his forgiveness of sins and the power of his resurrection and then say, oh, but I don't care what you say about me. Some of you have confused and have a, uh, your theology of salvation is built on the fact that you prayed a prayer, that you cried some tears at a camp one time, and you think that you got fire insurance, you think you got your free ticket to heaven because at some point in your life you felt really guilty about something and you said, Jesus, save me. And then you got up off your knees and you walked out the door of that said place and you did whatever you wanted to do, never asking Jesus what he thought about you or your life or your situation. If it felt good, you did it. Church, can I call you back to an obedience, to repentance, to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You're the boss. I know if what you say goes against what I feel, you win every time. Guys, that's the heart of the church, that we do follow a king, that he does have parameters on life. Show me the person in scripture that God did not care about, nor the disciples, nor the prophets, nor the kings. Show me the individual. Tell me, show me the story where God says, go live how you want. I don't mind. I trust you. You can search and search and search, use the online occurrences, and you won't find a story. You know why? Because from the very beginning, God has been very, very concerned about the actions and attitudes and applications. Three A's. You like that? I'm a good Baptist preacher, right? The of what you do with your life. If somehow you think that it doesn't matter what you do as long as you come to church on Sunday, you really need to search the scriptures. Because 
I think you might find your theology is built on sand. Hear me. Check out Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to you, I swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you a land with large Things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Church, I beg you to see the transferable principles here. That you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you. And he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did in Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may, go in your, you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. I want to close by echoing the words of Samuel to the people. I want to close by echoing what Samuel said that he would do for the people and behalf of the people. Charlie Blair, one of our elders, one of our pastors here. He reminded me of this scripture this week as I was preparing and I had read it. And I think I had just kind of read the scripture sometimes like we all do. We just kind of read by, by something real fast and we miss it. And Charlie said, reread this before Sunday. And as I read it and I kind of sit in this scripture and thought about it, it began to fire me up with great passion because I believe God has called me to certain things when it comes to the people of New City Church. And that's a weird thing for me to say. It's, in my mind, when I say that, the enemy wants to accuse me of being arrogant. But let me just say this again. I think God has called me to Kansas City four years ago to plant this church so that I have opportunities at different times to stand up and make proclamations to call people back to the ways of God. Because this enemy, I'm telling you, this culture, uh, the enemy is so sneaky and he uses all of our surroundings to sway us and distract us and kind of delude us on what God has called us to. And so I want to make, uh, if I just with as much grace as I can, what Samuel said to the people, what I commit and what I would say this staff and this church leadership commits to you. And it's this, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Notice the K of the king, little K, little king. My Messiah Jesus, my King Jesus will not perish, neither will he when he is the Lord of your life. Jesus wins. You may face many trials during your day and during your week and in your life situation, but trust Jesus' words that he has overcome the world. Some of us need to repent for the way that we've been living our lives, the way we've been taking for granted the very scriptures. Like some of us, man, have been coming to this church for years. And to the best we can, we're proclaiming God's word to you. And you've taken it for granted. And you hear it and you go out and nothing has changed about you. 
Nothing has changed in your life, and you keep this great thing that God has done in your heart, how he's reconciled you and pulled you out. You've kept it quiet. And it's like you said to all the people that live around us, those who got the wreck together and those that don't. We say to all the people, oh, we don't really care about you. Man, I care about them. Listen, Allie and Christy and Luke, wow, they're under my household. They got daddy as a preacher, good or bad. But what about the other little Allies and Christies and Lukes out there? Who's proclaiming the truth to them? Oh, I, well, some other church will take care of it. No, 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 no. We are that church. And when I say we are that church, I'm not saying for you to oh, hear, oh, bad, and the staff will do it. No, 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 no. Guys, we are the church. The church is the people of God. It's not a facility. Take this away from us. We don't stop. And, and some of us just sit back and we sit on our hands and we expect somebody else to go and do it. Who else is there? I'm not going to your family reunion and talking about Jesus for you. Not going to do it. I don't even want to do that at my family reunion, all right? I'm not going to your workplace. I'm not moving into your street. I've got my own family. I've got my own workplace. I've got my own street. It is time for the, the, the Christian culture, the Christian people of America to wake up and say, it's not some organizational church that's going to change the world. It's the very people of God. And listen, I want to equip you as best I can for that. And sometimes it's just simply this, go, what are you waiting on? Are you waiting on some tragedy to happen? Are you waiting for somebody to fall apart before you step in? Older people in the room, those who are older than me, I'll be 38 next month, all right? Not that old. Some of you in this room are much older. Can I beg you? First of all, before I beg you, I want to say this. Thank you that you choose to come here. Kevin White, who's just two years older, they made fun of me that my leader is younger than I am. I, I am honored that of all the churches in Kansas City that you could come worship in, that you choose to come and follow a guy that's younger than you. I don't take that for granted. Here's what I beg you to do. There are young people all around you this morning who could desperately, whether they know it or not, desperately need your life experience to keep from making the same stupid mistakes that you made. Help us. Engage with us. I invite you to impart your wisdom, to take us to coffee, to take us to lunch, to buy our breakfast. you got more money than we do. <laughs> Disciple us. I will. You seem to know this about me. We will do this. Four years from 30 people, last weekend between our two campuses, 670 folks, over the past four years, 188 baptisms, and I don't know how many people have come to find Jesus in this place. And I don't sit back and say, woohoo, look at us. I say whoop-de-doo. Because like you, I leave this place today and I drive past thousands of people who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I refuse to expect some other church to do it. I hope they do, right? We are not better than. But I'm not going to set aside, nor I'm going to drive some of you crazy. So I should say this. Some of you will laugh and others of you will get mad. If you're looking for a church where all you have to do is go to church, this ain't it. This ain't it. There's lots of those. And they're fine with you coming and they're going to count your butt, and they're going to count your bucks, and they're going to be glad that you gave both. Dude, as much as Jesus will allow us, we want to change this community for Christ. And if you can't get excited about that, 
man, I want to pray that you found the place that fires you up for Jesus and you go be everything that God's called you to be as you align your lower story to his upper story. Amen? It's not complicated. There's no accidents, folks. You're here on purpose. God wants you to hear this chubby, bald-headed, bearded dude. Because I'm telling you, God wants us, I'm telling you, God looks at the land and he says, who might I send? I'm telling you, I do my best, and I'm not perfect, that's my wife, but I do my best that if Jesus ever does look down at Shawnee or the Kansas City area and he says, man, if I could just find a guy, if I could just find a person, that, he, that his eyes would stop at me. Man, would you follow that example? Would you continue in that example as many of you do? Now is the time. Amen? Father, we love you. God, I, the last thing I want is some motivational mumbo-jumbo. That, that doesn't last. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict and would call us into specific directions so that we would begin to influence those that you have put in our life. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your grace, what, you, what you've done for us. Now, God, let us live for you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.